You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. What is life like in your home around 5pm? Is it calm and peaceful with dinner ready to be served and your children and partner sitting patiently at the dinner table? Chances are your family is more like mine. Normally, it's my husband who has rushed home from work to put the dinner on. The kids are causing chaos around the house and I'll arrive later to eat dinner on my own. Jo Lindsay is a professor of sociology at Monash University and she says that my family is actually very normal. She's done research to show that while families strive to eat together, it's not always a realistic assumption. Jo's on the phone now. Hi Jo, how are you? Hi, I'm well, thanks. What are the arguments we commonly hear for why families should eat dinner together? Well, often these are based on, I think, previous assumptions a lot of the time. Um, But eating together is seen to um, assist with nutrition, but also increasingly solve a whole lot of social problems. So I have seen articles claiming that uh, eating together solves relationship problems, it uh, reduces depression, can even stop the possibility of teen pregnancy. Wow. So it's almost seen as the panacea for all of the world's problems. And is there Um, much research to back up these um, claims? Well, uh, there is a lot of research, particularly from the US, but if you look into it very closely, uh, you see that the research is quite contradictory and that these claims aren't always upheld. So causation and the kind of links between the family meal and these outcomes aren't as clear as what they're sometimes presented on, you know, various websites. And look, I mean, I can see that perhaps, you know, when you do look at it properly, that maybe you can't say that um, eating together will reduce teen pregnancy. That seems to be quite a big claim. But it seems quite logical that if we get into a pattern of eating dinner together, that it does allow a moment of connection that you can rely on. Is that something that you've seen in the research at all? Yeah, sure. Um, but I think that also the way that family lives are playing out means that it's quite challenging to organise that on a nightly basis, you know, at five or six o'clock, as you're, you were saying in your intro. So I think families do absolutely enjoy eating together, enjoy the opportunity to connect, and that over the dinner table is one important way of doing that. But often that's reserved for special occasions rather than something that can be achieved every night. And why are people finding it hard to eat together? What are the kind of obstacles most people face? Well, I think the main thing is that there's not always one parent at home. You know, the the family meal ideal really came about when the kind of nuclear families with dad as the breadwinner and mum as the homemaker, where that pattern was dominant. And so it was possible there was a woman at home to make sure that that meal was prepared and ready for everybody to come home to. But uh, contemporary lives in Australia and in other Western countries mean that, uh, you know, often both parents are working. If you're living in one of the cities, there's long commutes. 
And so it's very difficult to get people all together of an evening. In addition to that, with young children, you know, they sometimes need to be fed earlier. There's kind of various activities on of an evening, um, uh, you know, swimming classes and so on. And so that adds another layer of complexity as well. Now, you didn't just look at dinner times. You were also looking at the kinds of health messages where giving kids at school. What are the messages that you find problematic in terms of that, in terms of what we're telling kids about health? We did a couple of things. So with the family meal study, we gave primary school children iPads to take photos of anything about their family food that they wanted to share with us. So that's where we got all of the diverse pictures of different meals going on. But we also asked the kids about the messages that they got from school and we looked through the school canteen messages and at the programming as well and we interviewed parents about school messages and we found that there were just so many different messages around mood food or brain food or, you know, all sorts of conflicting bits of information about food from school. So the kids didn't really have a very coherent understanding of what they were being told to do. And you hear these stories in the media all the time about parents who've been shamed by teachers because of what they've put in the lunchbox. And I don't even know if they're extreme examples. I know how it affects our family. And my husband packs the lunches. And if I see that he's put something in that's maybe a bit sweet, I'm mortified. I'm like, you can't put that in in a lunchbox. We'll get in trouble. Um, Is that something that parents were telling you, that they felt that kind of um, watchful eye on what they're putting in the lunchbox? Yes, I think so. I mean, people have very diverse approaches, but... One of the kind of most worrying things were around teachers who would do lunchbox inspections or would have that very kind of strong judgment about the food that was going into lunchboxes. And kids found that very difficult to manage. We um, had an example of one particular girl, and it was mood food day, but her family had packed a, a muesli bar and she was just so dreading taking that in that she decided to bury that music bar in the schoolyard rather than it being detected. So I think that that kind of response isn't great. And um, what about the messages that we're giving kids about how they should be eating at home? I mean, is that happening at school as well? Not just about the lunchbox, but what they have at dinner time? Yes, it is. But I think the impact of that and what is understood by that is really very uneven, if you like. And it's also worth understanding that families are quite diverse in their approaches as well. There are some families who are very upset with fundraisers and other events at school not being as uh, healthy as they would like. So there's the kind of pressure going both ways. But I think it would be useful to have a more consistent and nuanced messaging about the kinds of foods that are good for growing bodies and, you know, how food works not just as kind of nutritional fuel but also, you know, as an important um, symbolic and social aspect of our lives as well. Because there's so much judgment on parents anyway and everyone has their take on how much is too much sugar 
uh, and you kind of take it for granted that that is the way we should all be thinking. And of course, we don't want to dose our kids up to their eyeballs with sugar, but sometimes the way the judgment comes across is that you're really harming your child if you let them have a lollipop or something. Yeah. And that seems too much pressure for parents and and it kind of takes away some of the joy of being a child and being a parent to allow the occasional treat. Yeah, that's right. I think that there is this kind of disconnect of people going very hard on the nutritional message, but it doesn't mesh with our kind of you know, cultural messages around belonging or around celebration and, you know, people being able to have a cake for their birthday or um, a lollipop, as you say. So I, I think there, there is a real kind of judgment and trouble around food and this is something we need to work on together. Going back to this idea of dinner time being a time we should spend together and connect together, what what's your advice in terms of what you've looked at? What's your advice for parents in how they should view meal times and sitting down together? Well, I guess I have a kind of um, more open view. I think if you really value sitting down together, then that's fantastic and I would absolutely encourage it. But if it is really challenging and conflict prone and it's just too hard to do, then I think it's absolutely fine to think about other ways of connecting with your child and that, you know, we can eat well whether we're all together around a table or if we're at the bench or if we're eating separately. And so I guess I would say it's good to take the pressure off family meals and that we can still achieve those kind of connection and health goals through other means. Joe, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. That's Joe Lindsay. She's a professor of sociology at Monash University. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.